Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. All right, well, good morning. And uh, my name is Pastor Scott. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, Our lead pastor, senior pastor, uh, Pastor Chris, and his lovely wife, Janet, uh, their family, their kids, and uh, their son-in-law and daughter-in-law are all in Nashville, joining, uh, just having a, a great weekend together, a little vacation uh, for the Rollins family. So I hope you're in prayer for them. Uh, they all went there because actually Lydia, uh, their daughter, had a uh, play that she had written that was picked up by a theater and was actually performed last night. And so they all went to see it performed. It was really cool uh, getting to talk to Pastor Chris this morning and hearing that. Uh, so they're spending today going to church, and then they're going to be driving back this way, or fly, some are flying, some are driving uh, back this way. So be in prayer for the Rollins family as they're not here with us uh, this weekend, but they'll be back uh, next week. And so uh, we are delighted and excited that you are here, especially if you are a guest. Uh, Again, I am the associate pastor if you're a guest. So if you like the message a whole lot, you're like, man, and that's just the associate pastor. But you know, but like if you really don't like it, think it's just the associate pastor. So either way you want to look at it, uh, you know, Pastor Chris will be back next week. So, uh, but I'm excited to be able to kick off this new series called The Journey. And uh, we're going to take these next eight to nine, I think it's nine weeks actually, uh, looking at some highlight moments of Jesus' life. Now, you know, uh, two weeks ago, there was a, a tragedy that happened with uh, the, the sudden death of Kobe Bryant and eight others, including his daughter. And uh, man, it's been all over the news, headline news, all these things, all over the world. And uh, one of the things that just impacted me the most was over the last two weeks, hearing all of the, the moments uh, from people, whether it's been athletes, other basketball players, just other athletes in other sports, Uh, friends, family, uh, people in the media, all these different people that had some sort of a connection or a moment uh, with Kobe Bryant and being able to just share uh, these highlight moments, whether it's been about sports and about basketball, whether it's been about uh, movies or books and things like that, or just moments of uh, of leadership and of learning and being able to hear from him and how he affected uh, so many people, uh, not only here in the United States, not only in Los Angeles, but around the world. You know, and I think about him and what he was able to do in the, in the time that he was here on earth, but I think it relates even more to this guy named Jesus, who had just such an even more of an impact in the world that here we are 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Jesus, that the Bible speaks to the highlight moments of Jesus' life. And so over these next eight or nine weeks, we're going to pull some of these moments, these highlight moments, whether it's been an encounter with someone, uh, the way that he spoke to someone, the way that he shared something with someone, but uh, the way that he affected the people around him and how that affects us today. And we're not going to talk about the birth of Jesus because uh, we, we just did that at Christmas, you know, a little over a month or so ago. And we're not going to talk about the death and resurrection because that's Easter and this, this series ends right before Easter weekend and we will be hitting on that at Easter. So we're going to take these eight or nine weeks, and we're going to hit these moments throughout his life, these kind of just what we felt were maybe some of the big moments, the biggest moments. Uh, And there's probably some that we're going to leave out, obviously, but there's some that we feel like can really impact and affect us. And so I hope you're excited uh, for this series as I am. I'm really looking forward to this series and everything that it's going to speak to. And so this journey uh, series is going to be something that I really think is going to impact you in a different way. And each week, you're going to get to hear something new from the life of Jesus, and it's going to affect you. And so uh, today, I want to just set the foundation for the series, not only the series, but also uh, today's message with the very first point uh, on your outline. And that's this, that Jesus' life and death are the needed replacement for our life and death. That his life and death are the needed replacement for our life and death. Now, I think that not only sets today's uh, message in line and gets today's message going, but it also specifically lays a foundation for this entire series because everything we know is that the life and death of Jesus is something that is set up as a replacement for our life and death. 
What I mean by that is every single one of us, we enter this world and we have sin that is in our life. We inherit sin from the fall. Adam and Eve, they ate that fruit, they listened to a snake. I still don't get that part, but they listened to a snake, they ate the fruit, and sin enters the world. Now, they inherit this sin uh, from that, and it's just continued down through the bloodline all the way to you and me, that we come into this world and we have sin that is in our life. Not only this inherited sin, but we have a sin that's in our life in the fact that the decisions that we make, the choices that we make, the way that we give into temptation, that we sin, and we all have this sin that is in our life. But here's the thing. Any sin in our life prevents us from being with God for all eternity. We need to know that. Every single one of us falls short. Every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. And the thing that we can look at when we see in Scripture is that sin, any sin, requires a payment for that sin for us to be united with God. The requirement for that payment is, is death. The death is the payment to, for that sin. We see in Romans where it says, for the wages of sin is death, meaning that because we have sinned, the payment we have to make is death. Now, if we are trying to do this on our own, that death is required to be paid by us. It's meant for you and me still today, that if we do not have a relationship with Christ, that we are responsible for making this payment of death. But what we can see is that Jesus is shown in Scripture, throughout Scripture, to be shown as the one who can take our place. This is what all of Scripture, the entire Bible, is speaking to. The entire Bible that we have today in our hands, that we have you know, maybe on our phone, whatever it is, the Bible that we have, this Scripture speaks to the fact that Jesus is the one who can take our place. That he can substitute his death on the cross for our sin. That he makes the payment for us. Because when it comes down to it, the fact is that we need a replacement for our death, and he is it. Jesus is it. So I want to read a passage of Scripture that we're going to kind of work through today. We're going to cover a lot of verses. And so if you've got uh, your Bible or maybe you've got the Version app on your phone, uh, we're going to open up to Matthew 3. Uh, it's also a good time to remind you that on Version each week, the free Bible app that's available, uh, you can actually look at our sermon uh, outline, our sermon notes, uh, as far as what we're uh, looking through in the, the sheet that you have in front of you. It's on the Version Bible app, and you can actually get to that as well. But we're going to be in Matthew 3, and we're going to kind of work through these verses. And it begins with this, Matthew 3, 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the, Jor- to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Now, here's the thing. John the Baptist is the one, uh, he's not only Jesus' cousin, but he was the one who was coming to prepare the way for Jesus. He was coming to make the way, to kind of be the, the announcer, to be the one that proclaims, like, here is this, this Jesus is coming, this, this Messiah is coming, and he's preparing the way. I almost think about it like this. Now, I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. We watch a lot of Disney Plus uh, lately. It's just this big thing, watching a lot of movies. But one of my favorite movies of all time, as well as a movie we've been watching a lot of, is Aladdin. Right? You've seen Aladdin, you know, the blue genie, the whole deal, right? I think of John the Baptist almost like the genie when he comes in as Aladdin, has the, you know, as like the, the Prince Ali, and he comes in to think, and the genie's kind of leading the parade, and there's these people that are coming in and parading, they're playing music, and there's all these animals and all this kind of coming. That this is how John the Baptist is preparing the way he's announcing, he's saying, you know, here, here comes this Jesus, but here's the thing he doesn't do it like the genie in the movie Aladdin, does he? It's just him. You see, Jesus comes to this world as a baby in a, in a poor town and, and, and is born you know, in, in a cave. And like, there's, there's not this, like, this splendor and there's majesty in the way that he comes to this earth. He doesn't come with a big parade. He doesn't come with a bunch of stuff and, and, and a band playing and all this kind of thing. No, he comes as an infant and he comes as a baby. And John the Baptist is simply walking around this area and saying, you know, here comes this Messiah. Here comes this Jesus. And he is saying, I am, uh, you know, unfit to be able to baptize you, Jesus. And he says, I need to be baptized by you. But yet you come to me. 
You see, he's arrived, Jesus has arrived with much less splendor. And I think this is part of the reason why so many people at that moment in history struggled to believe. They're saying, how can this guy, like, it's just, it's just a man. It's, it's the son of a carpenter. How can, how can this man be the Messiah? And they struggled with that because they expected something along the lines of bands playing and, and gold and people and all that, just this parade of all this going on. But that's not the way he came. You see, John knew that Jesus was the mightier one who brings about salvation. And this baptism that Jesus goes through, what it does here is it actually identifies Jesus with sinners, us, but also sets an example for us. And it gives this amazing picture of salvation. It gives an amazing picture for us to be able to look at and say, here is Jesus, God in the flesh, who has come to this earth and he is baptized. He is put down in the water. He is raised back up from the water. This, this symbolic picture of being dead to sin and then being raised to a new life. And he gives us this incredible picture, but he sets an example for us to follow. Now, John knew that spiritual baptism is a part of the journey. It's a part of a, the salvation journey, the path of the faith journey for, for each person. And what I want you to know and realize today is that baptism itself is not being saved. That you simply being baptized does not mean that you are saved. In fact, baptism is an outward expression of an inward transformation of your heart. Baptism is something that we do as an act of obedience. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we surrender our life to him. We then have this first call, this first act of obedience is to be baptized like Jesus was, to be buried in the water and to be raised again to a new life. It's a symbolic picture. It's a picture that we do in front of people. It's an opportunity that we have in this, this ordinance, this, this sacrament to be able to take part of. Say, you know what? I am a new person in Christ. And now I wanna show this picture just like Jesus did that he was buried and he was raised again, and it foretells the death and the resurrection of him to come in this passage. But I want you to know is that baptism needs to be a part of your journey too. Baptism itself isn't gonna save you, the water's not gonna save you. In fact, it's, we, it's Charleston water. It may hurt you more than it helps you, to be honest, right? But baptism may be your next step. You've surrendered your life to Jesus, you've just never taken that next step of baptism. And I want to encourage you to do that. Today, uh, Pastor Chris uh, mentioned just a second ago uh, on your Connect card, and what you can do is actually put it on your Connect card. Hey, I want to be baptized. And this week, we're going to reach out to you and say, hey, when do you want to set that up? Let's get it going. Let's get it set up. We'll find a date. Find a service that works for you, and let's set it up. Let's get it done. Because it's something that Jesus did and something he commands us and asks us to do. And so my hope is that you would do the same. So let's go on in this passage, Matthew 3, verse 15. It says, but Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. You see, Jesus' baptism begins his earthly ministry. It begins, this is the kind of the moment where we begin to see all the miracles, all the parables, all these encounters play out from this moment on, that it begins his earthly ministry. And what it does is it actually fulfills part of God's saving plan that's talked about all throughout the Old Testament. That all throughout the Old Testament, we see there's these prophecies that happen. There's these things that are said about this coming Messiah. And this is part of the plan. It fulfills part of that. This plan concludes with Jesus' death on the cross and then his resurrection. Now, Jesus, in this moment, what he is doing is he endo he's endorsing John's ministry. You see, John has already been walking around and sharing the good news of this coming Messiah. And he endorses John's ministry, but he also endorses his message of this coming Messiah. The word us in this verse, in verse 15, says us. Jesus is linking their ministries and their message together into one mission. He's taking their ministries, linking them together. He's taking their message, linking them together, and he's bringing them all together in one mission, that is to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the message is this, is that God is here in the flesh, that he is here on earth, and he is here to save all humanity from their sin. 
People, that's the good news that we are here today to celebrate, that we're here today to proclaim, that we proclaim each and every week that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news for a lost and dying world that you and I have been included in. But when we surrender our life to Jesus, that we have been saved from that, that the payment of death has happened, that we no longer are responsible for that payment, and we've been saved and brought out of the pits of hell and into the gates of heaven. People, that's something we need to celebrate. That's something we need to be excited about. That's something we need to rejoice in. You see, Jesus himself... Jesus himself, he doesn't need repentance or, or cleansing, right? Uh, but he does this so that he can identify with us, the sinful people that he came to save through what is called his substitutionary life and death, meaning he substitutes, he kind of gives this, this spiritual resume that he has of perfect perfection, life, and then he dies in the perfect way, the only way, the best way to cover the sin of the entire world and every sin that is included in that. And he dies in this way and he allows it to be a substitution for our life and our death. Matthew 3, 16 goes on. It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here's something that's important to realize right here in these couple verses. All three parts of the Trinity are mentioned here. You may be familiar with the Trinity and what that is. Some of you may not be familiar with the Trinity. The Trinity is the fact that God is made up of three parts. It's one God made up of three parts, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And right here in these verses, we've got Jesus, the Son. We've also got the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God at the end of verse 16. And then in verse 17, the voice from heaven, we have the Father speaking about his Son. We have all three parts that come together in the Trinity right here. You see, the Spirit of God anoints Jesus, anoints Jesus. Jesus is chosen as the one to lead and the one to save. He is anointing Jesus as the King of Israel and as the Messiah, the one who has come to save. And the Holy Spirit is anointing Jesus in this position. But he's also commissioning Jesus and saying Jesus is the one that has been commanded to serve, that Jesus is God's righteous servant, which comes out of Isaiah. He is this righteous servant. He is the one that has been brought here to serve and to serve in a way that he is leading, that he is saving, but he is also serving. He's been anointed and he's been commissioned. This Jesus is recognized by the Spirit of God, but also from the Father, the voice from heaven, it says in verse 17. The voice from heaven confirms the relationship of divine love that the Son and the Father share. The Father here identifies Jesus as the Messiah. Not only does he do that, but Jesus is identified as the, the Son of God by God the Father himself. He's identifying him as God in the flesh. He's saying, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. He's announcing this. He's making this, this declaration, this proclamation for us to be able to look at and say, this is the Son of God, the one that has, we have long been waiting for and that the people have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years, that they finally have this Messiah right there. Now, he did not come in the way that they thought he was going to come because they were expecting some big celebration and all this kind of thing. But he simply came as a man, someone who is chosen, someone to lead and to serve, but someone who is coming in the most humblest way so that he can serve the people of this world and serve you and me. Here we are 2,000 years later. You see, so I want you to know, uh, because when it comes to the Trinity, I think a lot of us are like, well, why, why is that really important to us? Why does this really matter? You know, this, this Trinity, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I, I, I get it, I kind of see what you're saying, but why, why is this important to me right here? And here's what I want to tell you, and it's the next little sub-point in your outline. We need a God who is above us, with us, and in us. We need a God who is above us, with us, and in us. We need this God who is above us in the way that he is more powerful, he is more wise, that he sees the, the big picture that's going on. This is the kind of God that we need. We need a God who looks and can see history from thousands of years ago to whatever hundreds or thousands of years are ahead of us, that he sees the big picture and everything coming together, that he is more wise, that he is more powerful. This is the God that we need, the Father who is above us. 
We also need this God uh, who is with us, this, this Jesus, the one that has walked this earth just like you and I are doing right now, right here today. One that can sympathize with us and knows that what it feels like to go through temptation. Knows what it means to, to lose a loved one. Knows what it means to have joy and happiness and celebration. We need one that can sympathize with us and that's who Jesus is and the way that he leads and that he models uh, and, and gives us life for us to be able to look at that we can actually look to him as a model for us and how we live our life but one that's with us that can save us. But we also need this God that is in us, the Holy Spirit, the one that can empower us, the one that can convict and transform and make us to become more like Jesus, that this Holy Spirit is the one that indwells inside us and the one that, that flows out of us when we are in a tough situation, when we're facing a trial or a temptation or a struggle, that he is the one and the one that is working through us and that Holy Spirit. So we need this God that is above us, this God that is with us and this God that is in us to be able to continue our life and to glorify Jesus and to glorify God in the way that we do live our life. Which leads me to the second truth for you this morning, and that's this, that just because we surrender our life to Jesus does not mean our life is going to be easier. Just because we surrender our life to Jesus does not mean our life is going to be easier. So many people today and throughout history are convinced that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you become a Christ follower, you become a Christian that life is simply going to just get easier. And that's not the case. People are, were, were, are, have been wrong about this and their thoughts about this. Because I want to tell you this, if it didn't happen to Jesus, why would we think it would happen to us? Here's Jesus who begins this earthly ministry and things got difficult and they got more difficult. And so for us to be able to simply say, well, my life should be easier now. I'm a Christian. That's not what that means at all. People have been wrong about this. You ever been wrong? We've all been wrong, right? I think, uh, thinking about people being wrong, uh, a couple years ago, about two years ago, uh, there was a uh, Payless Shoe Stores. You guys familiar with Payless Shoe Stores? All right? Uh, very cheap shoes. You know, you could be, go in there for like 20 bucks, walk out with three pairs of shoes or something, right? And so, uh, Payless Shoes, uh, very familiar to a lot of people. We know what it is, but you could go uh, into Payless. Well, Payless had this idea that they thought their shoes were of better quality than everybody really thought they were just because of the price of them. So th two years ago in Los Angeles, they found a spot in a mall and opened up a pop-up store with Payless shoes. But they didn't market it as Payless shoes. They kind of fancied up the surroundings in the room uh, of, the, of the shop of the store that was going on. They made a, a, a name that was called Palessi. Palessi, Payless, very cheesy, but that's what they did. Uh, named it Palessi, so it's kind of Italian sounding or something, you know? And so they put all their shoes out and they priced them as if they were like these, you know, foreign, you know, like French shoes, Italian shoes, all these designer, you know, fashion shoes. And they priced them, you know, at hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And so they invited uh, 80 of the world's top fashion influencers. Now, an influencer basically means you got a really good Instagram account, okay? That's really all that means. But they invited these like 80 fashion people into this store as like a kind of a, a soft opening before it went public. And so they invited them in, allowed them to shop. And so people are walking around and they're, they're grabbing these different shoes uh, and boots and all these kinds of things. And there was one woman that paid between four or said she would be willing to pay between four and $500 for this pair of shoes that cost $20 at a Payless shoe store. There's another woman that actually paid $640 for a pair of boots that cost $35 at the Payless near, near the store. You see, these people had been fooled. They had been duped into thinking that this is what is, you know, that this is accurate, this is right, this is, these are these, these extremely expensive fashion, you know, designer things, all because of the way that they surround it, the way that they packaged it together. And they were able to do this and to, to kind of trick these people into it. Now, uh, before anybody left, Payless actually uh, revealed the secret 
uh, gave the people back their money and actually let them keep the shoes. And so uh, Payless did this, but the, the, the whole thing of this and the whole point of this is the fact is that every single one of us has been wrong. And every single one of us, we might think we are an expert in something. Uh, you know, a lot of us would probably never, never make the statement that, oh, we're an expert in being a Christian because that's a weighty statement to make. But we feel like maybe we're a little further down the line than, than most or we have a little bit more knowledge than most. And uh, there are people out there that will say, I'm a little bit further down the line. A little bit, I know a little bit more than most people. And they'll make statements. And, you know, the whole thing that I want to get you to realize is this, is that when you have a relationship with Christ, that your life itself does not get easier, and you might think that it should. Because here's the fact of it. When you have a relationship with Christ, you're going to be attacked. You're going to be attacked. Now, there is this large portion of Christians, or even those that claim to be, that believe and proclaim that if you turn your life over to Jesus, your life's going to be perfect, it's going to be without trouble, it's going to be healthy and wealthy and all those things, and that's wrong. It's simply wrong. The idea of living your best life now is a sham. This life is not your best life. If you are a Christ follower, the best life is yet to come. It's when you leave this place and you enter into the presence of God, that you enter into his gates and you're with him for all eternity. That's the best life. And that's what's to come. Don't surrender your life to Christ because you think life is going to be perfect and all warm and fuzzy. Uh, in fact, life is most likely going to get more difficult because Satan is going to come after you just like he did for Jesus. And that's where I want us to read on in Matthew, where we're jumping, uh, finishing chapter 3, but moving into chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, which is the devil, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Temptations are the devil's attempt to disrupt God's plan for human redemption. He's using temptation to cause you to sin. He tries to cause Jesus right here uh, in these verses to, to fall into sin and disobedience, therefore disqualifying him as the sinless Savior. You see, he needed to be a sinless Savior. He needed to be spotless. He needed to be perfect in order to save humanity from their sin. And the devil is attacking right here in this moment and, and giving him this, this temptation. He's trying to cause Jesus to fall into this. But here's the thing, and it's your next, your sub point on your outline. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit guided Jesus in his earthly life, providing a pattern for us to be empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. To be empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. We have this model, this picture to look to, to understand that the Holy Spirit was guiding Jesus, but also guides us. People that are in this room today, I want you to know that when you sur surrender and submit your life to Jesus Christ, that you are no longer walking through day by day by yourself, but you have the Holy Spirit who is indwelling inside you that is allowing you to become more and more like Jesus that is right there to convict you, but also right there to encourage you and to lift you up. The Holy Spirit is God's helper who works in you to empower you, and the Holy Spirit leads and directs you through the trials that you face. But I want to get something clear. I want to make something clear. When we talk about temptation and we talk about Jesus in this moment, there's some things I want to make sure that we're clear on, and that is this, that God clearly never tempts anyone to do evil. He doesn't tempt anyone to do evil. It speaks to that in James 1.13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You see, he doesn't use our circumstances, he does, he does use our, our circumstances, but he doesn't ever you know, cause us to evil. He doesn't ever cause us, you know, tempt us into doing something. But what he does is he actually takes what the devil does and he uses these circumstances to test our character. For example, here's one example. Hebrews eleven seventeen 17 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. You see, Abraham was tested. 
And he was tested in a way, and he actually offered up Isaac, and he was offered in this moment. He was, had this test, this trial that he was going through, and God used this, this moment to say, I'm going to test you. And when he came through the test, and he came through and he passed the test, he had this moment of success, and God said, you have, have been obedient to me. You have listened to me. You have gone through this trial, this temptation, this thing that you have faced, but you have been obedient to who I am. You see, God uses the devil's evil intention right here for the good purpose, or for, excuse me, not for the good purpose, but for the purpose of strengthening Jesus in his role as the Messiah. He uses it to strengthen him and to increase uh, who he is. And this also, for each one of us, it strengthens our faith and it strengthens uh, our obedience and our reliance on who God is. Our testing and our trials bring strength when we push through them. Every single one of us goes through trials, we go through struggles, we go through temptations. Some of you are going through some things right now. But when we have the opportunity to face these things, we can know that we have the Holy Spirit who is working inside us to help us through those. And that we come on on the other side, God gets the glory through that because he is going to work, he's going to help, he's going to provide for us as we work through those things. For me as a kid, I uh, was raised uh, in a home. My parents got divorced when I was five years old. Um, you know, I didn't have a, a great relationship with my dad uh, as a kid. And I lived with my mom and there was a lot of moments in my life where I thought, why do I have to go through this? Why am I the one that's going through this? Why, why is it that my parents aren't married? Why is it that I don't have a good relationship with, with my dad? Why is it like this when I'm looking at my friends and I see their, you know, their homes and mom and dad are there or whatever or uh, you know, good relationships that are going on? And why did I have to go through this? And why did I struggle with this? And why did I face these things? And let me tell you, I had, I had a good childhood in the sense that I was able to do some things that I wanted to do and all those kinds of deal. But there was a lot of moments in my life where I would lay in bed at night thinking, why am I going through this? Why me? Why am I facing this? Why do I have to go through this struggle? But you know, as I went through that as a kid, I did realize that God was with me through it every step of the way. That God provided for me, that he helped me, that gave me the Holy Spirit to work inside me and through me, so I never felt that I was completely alone because I always knew that God was there. And when I got through that as a kid, it made me stronger. It made me realize how much more I need to rely on God the Father who is the perfect Father. You see, because I feel like that I went through that as a kid, and because of the things that I went through and the things that I experienced, I'm a better father and a, and a better husband than I would have been, maybe had I not. See, we go through trials and struggles, and we don't quite get why. We go through a testing, we go through a struggle, and we think, why me? All I'm saying is that God is working in those trials. He's using the circumstances and the situation around you to not only test you, but to allow you to see the need that, that you have for him that you need to obey, that you need to rely on him and who he is in his power. See, Jesus was tested, or excuse me, Jesus fasted for 40 days in preparation for the trials uh, that were coming his way. His experience of fasting for 40 days, it actually kind of parallels uh, what the uh, Israelites experienced for their 40 years of testing in the wilderness. If you want to read more on that, it's out of Deuteronomy 8. But Jesus endured this testing victoriously and obediently. He went through the testing, the trials, the temptations that the devil was throwing at him. Moses also fasted for 40 days, actually two different times. Noah experienced 40 days and nights uh, with the flood. And so 40 is an uh, uh, extremely important number uh, in Scripture. It's used a lot. And I'm glad because this last week I celebrated my 39th birthday. This is coming. My, I'm in my 40th year. I'm already struggling. After the service today, I think I might go, get, go to tanning bed, a little Botox injection, go shop for a little red convertible car, you know, that kind of thing uh, on the way. But uh, 40 is something that... It's an extremely important number in Scripture. 
It's extremely important the fact that we got 40 days here. Jesus fasts for 40 days. Moses fasts for 40 days. Uh, Noah goes through these 40 days of the flood and the rain and all that that comes with it. 40 is an extremely important number. But here's why I tell you this, because fasting that Jesus went through was something that prepared him properly for what he was going through. He was preparing for what the temptation and the trial that were going to come his way. Fasting is one of these things uh, that allows you to kind of slow down what's going on around you because things are getting ready to speed up pretty quickly. Fasting is giving up what you want so that you can tap into what you need. Giving up what you want so that you can tap into what you need. Fasting is a way of focusing intently on, on prayer over uh, possession. It's uh, on faith you know, over food or over you know, the, uh, the Savior over social media. Uh, you know, maybe it's church over Chick-fil-A. Okay, that might be a little personal one, but um, <laughs> pray for me in that. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, you got whatever it is, it's your thing. Like, you've got these different things that you have that you need to give up something you want so that you can tap into what you need. We give up something for 40 days or whatever the fast is. You give it up so that you can tap into what you need, and that's your relationship with God. That's through prayer. That's through church, Bible reading, worship, whatever it may be. You give up something that you want because you know that you need something to replace it. One of the things that we're doing uh, as a part of this uh, 100-day challenge is in the, uh, the last 40 days, uh, we want to invite you into this. It's called a 40-day Easter fast, 40-day Easter fast, uh, beginning March 1st, and this goes right up through uh, Thursday, April 9th, which is the Easter weekend begins right then, and this is the last 40 days of the 100-day challenge. We want to invite you to join with us in a 40-day fast where you have the opportunity to give up something that you want to tap into what you need. For each person, this can be different. Each person, this can be something that's completely different, uh, completely meaningful in a different way to you. But we want you to join with us. Now, uh, in uh, 2016, about four years ago, uh, I had the, the privilege, along with my good friend Sean Gundy, who's sitting down here, uh, to hike to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. The privilege was the hike down. Let me just make sure I'm clear on that. It wasn't the coming back up. But we had the privilege to hike down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And man, I mean, I was being prepared, right? Like, I'm like, all right, I've never done this. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, so I needed, I needed a backpack. I needed like these certain bottles for, for water. And I had the right shoes. And I had, you know, right, you know, snacks and the right clothing. I had some of that like, you know, anti-chafing cream, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, so you like you go down in this heat and all this kind of thing. And so we take two hours to go down into the Grand Canyon. It took seven to get back up. Seven. We stopped every quarter of a mile to sit down on a rock and think, what in the world did we do? We started pricing out, is it really effectively, uh, is, it, is, is it okay to like, you know, price in a helicopter to come get us? And like, we started really trying to balance the like, well, I could cut vacation this year and put that into the pot and we could get this helicopter to come. You know, like we were struggling because here's the thing, I had prepared in the sense that I had all the right stuff, but you know what I never did to prepare and train? I never did any hiking, <laughs> not at any point. I didn't prepare properly. And we laugh at that, and I laugh at that still thinking about it. But here's the thing. How many of us try to prepare and train for this spiritual life, this faith journey? And we're like, man, I got the big study Bible. I got me a Jesus shirt. I got me a 100-day challenge wristband. You know, like I listen to Christian radio. I got podcasts from pastors. I don't know what they're saying on my, on my phone. But then you never actually open the Bible. You never actually are involved in worship. You never actually serve. You never actually do the things that are part of your faith journey. We all know people like that because most of the times it's us. We've all been there. Man, if I get the right things and the right items and the right stuff, this is going to allow me, oh, this looks like a good book for somebody that's needing to learn about their prayer life. And you buy that book and it's been sitting there on your desk for four years and you've never actually read it. 
You see, we need to look and spend time in preparation. You have to train and prepare properly for your journey and keep it up. It's something you continue to do throughout the journey. Your faith journey is going to be long. It's going to be whining. It's going to be obstructed. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. Your life, your faith journey is going to be tough. It's not going to be all warm and fuzzy. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be bends in it. Your journey of life is going to have some broken relationships. It's going to have struggles. It's going to have trials. It's going to have loss. But it's also going to have moments of of highlights and of joy and happiness and all the things that come with that. The only thing that you can ask yourself right now is how can you handle it best? Be prepared. Be prepared. So here's the third point. In his temptations, Jesus gives us three lessons for our faith journey, and we'll kind of move through these a little quicker than the others, but uh, through our faith journey. The very first one, lesson one, uh, to live your life based on the word of God. Live your life based on the word of God. You see, Jesus responds in this uh, temptation. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You gotta have the word of God in your heart so that it may work in you and out of you in the moments of trial, in the moments of temptation and struggle, but also in the moments of joy when you give God the glory for getting you through the things that you're getting through or just in the fact that you have a blessed life and you have those moments where you are relying on the word of God. Jesus says every word of God. That you take the word of God and everything of it is inspired by God. You cannot just pick and choose little pieces and little chunks like, oh, this gets me into heaven. Oh, but that says I'd have to change what I did on Friday night. I don't like that part, so I'm not going to listen to that part. No, it's all or it's nothing. You take it all as the inspired word of God. And you got to live to it and you got to listen to it. Matthew 4, 5 to 7, it goes on. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, the pinnacle of the temple that is mentioned here is most likely what's the uh, southeast corner of the Temple Mount, uh, the top of which is about 300 feet above the floor of what's called the Kidron Valley. Now, uh, about a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to go to Israel and was actually able to see this point, and it was really cool to think of this story and this passage when I'm looking at that corner uh, of the Temple Mount. But the devil right here gets to quote uh, Psalm 91. He says, for it is written. And when he says, for it is written, he says, you will, uh, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. This is the devil misusing scripture in an, effort, in an effort to manipulate Jesus, just like he does to you and me. He does this to us. He will use, whether it's scripture, he will use people around you that have good intentions to mislead and to mislead you in your faith journey. And so you need to be uh, someone who is attentive. And if you know the word of God, you will know what the truth is. But you have to know the word of God because Jesus knew the word of God and said, again, it is written, devil. It says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, if Jesus had agreed, then it would have followed the Father's, wouldn't have followed the, uh, the Father's redemptive plan of Je- Jesus' suffering and his proclamation of the kingdom of heaven. You see, he knew Scripture better than the devil did. The devil tried to quote Scripture at him, and Jesus said, no, 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 no. It says, don't test the Lord your God, which is that second lesson for, that I have for you this morning. Do not test God. When you're preparing for your faith journey, don't test God. Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In fact, the only testing that God says that we should do is in our finances, which we learned about last week from Pastor Chris out of Malachi 3. We need to stop testing God because if we will do this, uh, you know, it's kind of this, God, if if you'll do this for me, God, then I'll go to church. God, if, uh, if you'll find me that guy or that girl that can be my spouse, God, we won't get freaky before we get married, God. Like, whatever it may be, God, if you get me out of this situation, God, I will be at church, front row, front and center. Like, we've got open seats down here. Like, I will be right there if you just get me through this. God, if you fix my marriage, I'll quit drinking. Maybe if you 
quit drinking, it would fix the marriage, but whatever. You're like, I got, you know, like that may be the issue. Maybe that's the problem. And you think, God, if you'll just do this and you'll get me through this thing, God, I will then turn my life to you and you will be what's in my focus. You will be what's important. But Jesus is telling us, don't test God. We gotta quit making these deals. We gotta quit saying, God, if you'll fix my marriage, then I'll do this. If you fix this relationship, then I'll do this. If you take care of this problem with my job, then I will do this. How about we just surrender our life and let God do the work? Just surrender your life and let him do the work. Quit playing games with your eternity. Stop making the deals that we can't keep. Because we don't hold up our end of the bargain. Matthew 4, going on in 8 uh, and on in these last couple of verses, says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. See, the devil offers a shortcut to Jesus right here. He says, fall down and worship me. The shortcut would have sidestepped Jesus' uh, redemptive work on the cross. It would have come at the cost of exchanging the love of the Father for the worship of Satan. The devil's line of all these I will give you is a lie. The devil has no authority. It has no authority in the life of Jesus. It has no authority in the life of you to realize that the, the devil can't make up these things. It has no authority to say, I will do this for you because here's the thing. God has all the authority and has all the power. And he is the only one that can do that. We have to quit giving the devil authority in our life and allowing the devil to make the decisions, allowing the devil to say, you know what? I will give you this and I will do this for you. Because no, he won't. He does not have the authority to do that in your life. And so when we look to a passage like this, we have to stop listening to him. And many of us are falling for the lies of Satan which leads to the third and final lesson, and that's to worship and serve the living God only. Many of us are falling for Satan's lies, but we need to worship and serve the living God only and not him, not the devil. The devil will tell us you're not good enough. You say you're not smart enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not good enough parent. You're not good enough spouse. But you know what? He's right. None of us are good enough at any of those things. But that's not a limitation. It's a platform for the glory of God. None of us are good enough. When we look to this and we see that falling for this uh, from the devil is a sign of worshiping and serving the wrong God. It says here, when Jesus makes this quote, he says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus resisted the devil by standing firm on God's word and setting an example for us to do the same. And he quotes 1 Peter, or excuse me, not he didn't quote, but in 1 Peter 5, 9, it says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I want you to know this today, that you can be firm and stand firm in your faith because you have the Holy Spirit working in you and through you right now. That when you have a relationship with Christ, you have surrendered and submitted your life to God through his son, Jesus, that the payment of death has been made by Jesus for you. If you have never done that, that payment is still required to be made by you. So my encouragement for you today is that you would trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior that you wouldn't test God, that you would take God's word into your heart and allow it to flow through you and out of you and that you would worship and serve him alone. That's my hope. Today, you can have that same hope by placing your faith and your trust in this Jesus who died on the cross for your place with your name on his mind and on his heart that day. Let's pray. Father God, I just wanna confess to you right now, Lord, that we are here today to worship you. God, we are here today to glorify you. Father, that today we have come to this place and we have studied your word, we have looked at it. And Father, I pray that it would fall on each one of our hearts. God, I pray that you would break our hearts down for what breaks yours in the way that we have temptation, that we have sin and struggle in our life. And God, my prayer right now, my prayer right now, Lord, is that people in this room, Lord, that don't have a relationship with you, 
God, that they would know that you loved them so much that you sent and sacrificed your only son, Jesus Christ. That God, that he came to give us a model to lead us, to provide us a way out. The Father, he makes the ultimate payment in the fact that he sacrificed his life so that we don't have to sacrifice ours. Father, right now I pray for those that are in this room that don't have that relationship. God, that today they would want to surrender their life to you. Father, that they would know that you love them, that you're calling them to, the, to yourself. And Father, for those of us that do have a relationship with you, we have surrendered and submitted our life to, to your son. That Father, that maybe for some of us in the room, the next step is baptism, that we haven't done that just yet, and that's the opportunity that we have. But Father, I just want to pray that we would live our life in a way that we are taking your word, taking it into our life and into our heart and into our soul. Father, that it flows out of us. Father, we would quit testing you. We would quit trying to make deals with you and, and, and kind of make a, an offer. If you'll do this, then we'll do this. And God, because we know we don't hold up our end of the deal. That we would quit testing you in the areas of our faith and we would just humbly submit and surrender to you. And God, I also want to just pray that we would look to this passage and that we would see that we need to worship and serve you alone. Fire, you the only one worthy of our worship, only one worthy of our praise. God, I pray that as we worship you and as we serve you is that you get the glory. And that, Father, that our best life is not now, but our best life is yet to come. When you welcome us in, into your arms, into the gates of heaven for all eternity. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.